Hello and welcome to the 11th episode of this podcast, Why is the World? I'm your host, Miles, and with me is my co-host, Sevi. Hello, everyone. So this podcast aims to introduce you to different cultures, areas, and debates from across the world. Um, so what are we going to be talking about in today's episode, Miles? So today's episode is, Why is Jaipur a UNESCO World Heritage Site? Ooh, that's different different from the other stuff we've done yeah so did you have any preconceptions about Jaipur or UNESCO World Heritage Site um you know what's your yeah I I knew it was an Indian city and that's a city in India and that's about it um and I know UNESCO from like the way it's connected to like the UN and how it I lots of like there's natural and cultural sites all around the world and a lot are in Europe and they're kind of spread out and usually they have to be very special in order to be classified that way because in terms of like the whole world there aren't that many and that's about okay. it so so did you know did you know where it was in India no I, I did not you, ju- you just knew it was a city in India yes I'd heard of it and I knew very little about it I now know quite a bit about it <laughs> okay excellent uh, in terms of myself, I, I was in much the same position. I wouldn't have been able to locate where Jaipur was in India. I knew it was a city. I've seen documentaries where, like animal documentaries, where they do film the animals in the city of Jaipur. Okay. But, um, but outside of that, I had I had very little knowledge. UNESCO World Heritage Site, probably very, very similar to you. I know it's connected to the UN. I wouldn't say I knew any more than that. So it looks like it was a any... discovery for us. Do you know any UNESCO World Heritage sites that like come to mind as obvious ones? I'm gonna guess Stonehenge is one. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. um, you know that's probably the main one that just pops to my head every time because to me that's as a as someone that used to take the A three hundred three quite often. That's the. Uh, that the, sounds like a road. It is a road. It's the road that probably it's probably about forty meters away from Stonehenge. Wow. Maybe 50 meters. Please don't quote me on that, but it, it's very close. You can, you can yeah, see it, it from, from out the window. It almost bisects it, yeah. Yeah. And so that's what I think of when I think of UNESCO World Heritage Site. Uh, what do you think of when... What do I think of? Uh, I, I think of like lots of like old cities. I think of... Um, I think of like monuments, like specifically like large, especially old monuments, um, like the pyramids. Um, I think of, and then I also think of some of the more natural things as well uh, around the world. Of course, none are coming yeah. to mind right now, but. Okay, we'll take the pyramids is what you instinctively yeah, think sure. of. And, and if you're listening at the moment and you've instinctively thought of something that's cooler than whatever we've spoken about, you know, let us know, get in touch and uh, at podcast, why is the world on Instagram and Twitter? Uh, yeah, please get in touch with us. Or more original is probably a better way to put it. Stonehenge <laughs> and the pyramids are very original. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so let's dive into Jaipur and the um, like what it like where it is and what it is and like why it's important. So, um, Miles, like we've talked about, it's in India. Both of us didn't know where in India. Where in India is it? So, in India, it's in the state of Rajasthan. Mm-hmm. which is uh, towards the northwest, but actually extends a bit closer to the center. So yeah. if you think of India as a kite, very crude uh, shape here, if you, if you really just took four points, you could say it's a kite shape, like a, 
diamond. Uh, that's if you sort of cut off the part that's east of Bangladesh, and, right. and you take and you take sort of like the the north to the west points. So it's a kite with that, a, a um, slight tail. Then we can say. Yeah, you could you could say that. But if you take that sort of that north to the west point, that goes along the border with Pakistan in this crude diagram, and Jaipur sits between the center and the the northwest direction really is it yeah so it's in the northeast of rajasthan and if you look at like the whole it's map in the northwest of, of india isn't it yeah exactly so yeah, if you look yeah. at the whole map of india i was about to say it's like central northwest ish area um and it makes up the golden tourism triangle of the country are you familiar with that, Miles? I wasn't until until this week, but please tell me, tell me more. Yeah, so the golden uh, triangle for tourism is between Jaipur, Delhi, and Agra, and they kind of make up. They're like three large cities in India with lots of things in each of them that uh, kind of represent India that tourists. Uh, definitely go to and a lot of like people go beyond those three cities but those are like the three big ones that form a triangle that i uh, really i think show the culture of uh india in a in a large extent yeah it's quite a big triangle but um the ones to think about is so delhi is the capital isn't it new delhi mm -hmm. and then you have jaipur which is we're going to dive into what gems yeah. that has and then agra is uh very well known because that's where the taj mahal is okay i was gonna guess that that makes sense yeah um, but the the city of Jaipur actually lies in a in a little valley and it's nestled on three sides by um, hills mm -hmm. that protect it the Aravalli hills which protect it from the desert surrounding it so it's uh you know you could say it's quite a nice place to settle it does actually have some hills in it because there's a beautiful wall that um, an old wall that you can you can walk along one thing that a lot of a uh, uh, lot of cities within India they're actually built within hills to be more fortified. Um, they aren't built on plains, but Jaipur is actually one of the exceptions. They're built on more of a plain, and you're right. They still have the hills around them and close to them that protect them, and that they have forts within. Um, so it's not like they're completely like open to anybody. But it was like one of the one of the uh, first cities that was built out on the plains, and we'll get into the reasons behind that later. Okay. I'm I'm curious to learn more, but for now let's let's talk about size and and how big is Jaipur. So I got Jaipur to be currently it's about um, just under four million people live there, mm -hmm. um, and it's actually the tenth biggest city in India, and I was actually blown away by that fact because yeah. when I when I think India, I think you know one point two billion people roughly, you know, uh, and. Right. And you think about some of the, the, the cities in China, which has an equivalent population, and they are massive cities. You could take the, the Shenzhen um, basin yeah. or sort of river mouth. Greater with, area. With yeah. The greater area. That's like, isn't it 70 million or so? Wow. Like it's, yeah, I it, don't know. <laughs> if, it, if, it, if it were categorized as a city, I think it would be the biggest city in the world. But uh, it's split up into three, four, five, in some cases, uh, cities. But this is... You know, India has the same amount of people, roughly, and it has their 10th biggest city has 4 million people. So does that mean India is a lot more rural than China? Or it's a lot more decentralized, perhaps, in, in many ways. So, so, so it's a lot of 
smaller although this isn't a small city like three million four million is still like really quite large um yes and we'll get in let's get into some references with that like what what's what else is around four million yeah so i've actually made just a slight error there i meant just over four million not just under four million and in terms of you can you think about it it's slightly bigger than berlin in germany and from a u.s perspective like if you think of greater like seattle tacoma area like it's a, it's about that size. Um, or if you think of like central LA, um, so like the main county, not like the extended regions around it. So it's quite big. Yep, it is quite big. But again, it... only tenth in India. Yes, um, but I think their top cities are only, I think it's twelve million would be their their biggest city. Mm-hmm. Um, which even compared to the US, the US's biggest cities over twenty. I think. Yeah. I think New York City is a little bit over that. Yeah. Okay. Um, in terms of Jaipur, in terms of the area, it's 470 kilometers squared. Uh, mm-hmm. And that actually, just to do a bit of a size comparison, Berlin is about 900 uh, okay. kilometers squared. So it's about, it's not quite twice as dense as Berlin, but it's, you know, that's a, that's a rough yeah. estimate in how to think about it. It's, it's quite a, clearly it's quite a dense city. Um, the main languages they speak are Hindi. It's within the section of India that does that. Their secondary language is English, which is pretty common as a like another language that almost all um, people in India speak. And then they also have some regional dialects and regional languages that like called Jaipuri. Okay, I've never heard anyone describe uh, as someone speaking a language as doing a language, but. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Speaking a language. Yeah, we're doing English at the moment, guys. Okay, um, did you get anything about the climate they have? Uh, I did not. Tell us a little bit about the climate. So in the Koppen climate zone, it's a BSH, which is actually quite a, a hot and dry uh, climate. I mean... Like a desert? Yeah, like exactly like a desert. So uh, the place it's most similar to from a perhaps a more European-centric view is uh, Marrakesh in Morocco. So kind of think about um, the heat and the, and the climate there. It's about the same as um, Jaipur. But there's just no water or there's less water. Uh, there's no ocean. There's no ocean. Put it. Yes. Okay. Do you want to take me through any of the history um, of Jaipur and you can tell me about why it was founded on this, on this plane? Yeah, definitely. So a, uh, a long time ago, back in... 1727 so practically um, modern history yeah um basically uh the city was growing um actually a city nearby was growing and it had lots of people and they were like running out of water and so they decided oh let's move the city to a new place and like start over and like kind of like plan this new city so they moved 11 kilometers or about seven miles for access to more water and that's the current present day location of jaipur yeah so that was actually not just any city. That was the capital of Amma, which was the former kingdom in the area. Right. Um, so they actually they moved the capital. So it wasn't just a, a nothing yeah. city. It was it was a capital no. movement. And, yeah. and, and, and it was like the, the idea is the Maharaj, like he's like, we're, we're going to like not start over, but we're going to take our city somewhere new. And by starting somewhere brand new, they were actually able to plan out the city. And this is a huge uh, we'll definitely come back to this later, but planning a city from scratch is like on a 
it sounds fun, doesn't it? Like you get to plan your whole a whole new city for yourself and a whole new capital of a wealthy area of India. Yeah, and this idea of creating a capital happens. It's it's happened throughout all of history. It's happened all the time. You can think of some really clear examples of that. You you know, a great example is like Canberra in Australia is mm-hmm. a a city that was made. Washington Washington D.C. was completely planned. They, they like moved the capital and planned that whole city for the capital. Yep, and then the probably one of the most recent ones that's sort of ongoing at the moment is a an unnamed capital city. Uh, east of Cairo, which Egypt are currently building, which um, I didn't know that it, it looks really cool. Go and have a look at some of the the computer renders. They have some uh, really interesting architecture where it sort of harks back to their, um, you know, the Egyptian um, heritage, and but also obviously looks to the future as well. It's quite cool. So it's kind of like a modern representation of like their past and future all coming together in a capital. Yeah, uh, probably we'll save this probably maybe for the Egypt. Egyptian episode, but uh, some of their modern buildings, they've got a new um, a new museum next to the Pyramids of Giza. It is amazing from an architectural point of view. Now I'll look that up. I guess that's enough on soon episode. <laughs> that's enough on Egypt. Let's uh, let's yes. get back on to uh, Jaipur. Let's fly back to Jaipur. Okay. Um, so we've said about how they, they moved this capital and, and how they moved it into the plains as well. And so shall I just jump into some of the planning and yeah. uh, part of that aspect, which is um, really important to Jaipur, which um, so they, they built this city on the principles of Vastu Shastra, Shastra and Shilpa Shastra. Please try saying this in your free time. So Vastu Shastra and Shilpa Shastra. Okay. So um, what do those mean? So they are philosophies of how you should um, design or it's a philosophy, I guess, a a science, an art science philosophy, I guess it comes down to. So the way to think about it is Vastu Shastra is like a, almost like a little rule book for how you should design or, or be an architect architect for buildings, planning, like town planning, or it even goes down all the way down to home design and how you should lay out all your furniture. Um, So is it a little bit like feng shui from the, like a Chinese? Yeah, I guess so. So it's about aligning your chakra and keeping, um, you understand, it's about the balance of nature and the forces of nature, essentially with man and material. It goes all the way out to uh, like the actual infrastructure and the architecture of buildings. Yeah, and you know, and people should design their houses to be in Vastu Shastra way as well. And then the Shilpa Shastra is to do with creating arts and crafts. So we're not going to focus on that too much because we're talking about the the, the city. Um, but however, I do think it connects in some ways because arts and crafts, like th- this, was a huge city to do with commerce. This is something we haven't brought up yet that we'll continue to bring up, but. Uh, like it was a huge commerce and trade hub within India and it was actually designed for that purpose um, and so like the arts and crafts kind of went into designing those objects that were the purpose of trade so it I feel like it does have a connection in that way yeah okay so I'll tell you a bit about Vastu Shastra and what what it means and and sort of I guess where it comes from so so it's actually it's a, it's an ancient Indian science of architecture and buildings, and it takes advantage of of nature 
and its elements and it's designed to give you enhanced wealth health prosperity and happiness um okay uh, i watched a, a wonderful video where the lady described it as peace progress and prosperity that's what it gives so you. is a good way to think about it like by seeing this kind of architecture like it's more like relaxing and calming and like you feel like you're one with it so i think that's definitely quite a western viewpoint of it where we we don't consider the the balance of elements to be as integral as perhaps they would in india where okay. and i'll i'll show you how how much they they believe in this and and it's about balancing man materials and nature so it's mm -hmm. a it's saying you want to build your materials to be like nature to allow the energy forces to continue to give yourself peace prosperity and progress okay um so it provides these rules um and yeah it goes all the way from residential to commercial buildings it's, it's for everything in this so um part of uh, so i'll just give an example um it's so part of it is you want your clean water to be in the northeast of your house for example your clean water so if you've got a pool if you've got um, a sink um, things like that you want it to be in the northeast and it'll bring you wealth and okay. and uh, and then they give the the contradictory part of this is like you know if you place a toilet here where a toilet has dirty water so it's not this uh, clean pure water that would end up giving you financial problems in life you know you would um, have you know unfortunate bills parking fines and things like that and it's because your vastu shastra is not um it's not being obeyed like um it's not so being... the obvious question is is the toilet in the southwest corner not usually i think it's usually i think it's usually like east southeast so it's like northeast. no no not southeast the... just east it, oh, so okay. so they aligned the five elements which are fire earth water air and space okay and they align those with the eight directions on a compass north east south west northeast south northeast southeast southwest northwest okay the the output of this is usually brought down i've called it peace prosperity and progress but they would be distinct in health so you have like uh, health, which is quite obvious to explain, uh, wealth, which is your financial situation, your relationships, whether that's um, romantic relationships or platonic relationships, family relationships, it encompasses all of that. And then also legal stuff as well. So your legal situation. Okay. Um, and just one more example, um, a common one is your fire element is in the southeast and uh that's where you should be putting your um fire rep your fire like um interior that's an so example like your oven your kitchen that would be a Got fire it. element so you want to put that in the southeast and that would bring you more prosperity okay yeah it's it's something very different to us in the west that we we, we probably have a bit of trouble trying to understand it and it was clearly explained to me that you can go against your Vastu Shastra and it may still work out for you, uh, but it, okay. it's not, it's not optimum. The, 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 the analogy they gave for this is you can, your mouth is meant for eating and your nose is meant for breathing. And if you breathe through, you, through your mouth, you'll eventually feel dry. It, it's not like the, the best way of doing it. 
and if you eat through it's your possible. nose... It's just not the best way. Yeah, exactly. And they said if you eat through your nose, it's probably not good for you, but it is possible again. Really interesting, interesting. If, you, if you want to go and... Um, yeah, no, um, I, I, I love that rabbit hole. And I, I can see the, how I don't completely understand it. And it's one of those cultural things that I think you also have to live to like understand it better. Yeah. Um, and But that that's the point of this podcast, to like try to understand it better and be empathetic towards that culture and and, and yeah. I think, I think we're doing that. So yeah, and just um, from a sorry, just from a like a, the larger buildings that, like the town planning, big large buildings, um, the common design, would be like that of Angkor Wat in. So that's in Cambodia. Yes, uh, it, it has those that that sort of rectangular shape with the um, circular, in circular. Towers, Corners? I guess. Tower you, towers. Yeah. I think I think they're in the eight positions of the compass like that that's the the idea it's okay. it's like it takes not just the stuff in the interiors it's also an exterior design it's 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 lots of things that are just incorporated into this one philosophy and and they call it a science and, and obviously to us in the west we don't consider the five elements and so how does that extend to the planning of jaipur so it's it's built on this with this in mind so i think it has uh, nine, uh, nine, nine blocks and two contain the state buildings and palaces and then the seven... And the other are, seven are for the people. Yes, and then um, it's got seven gates as well. So, so it's used to, to design the roads and the, um, and the blocks as well. Okay. No, that, that, that's, that's so interesting. So I can't believe we haven't talked about this considering we're like we're around 20 to 30 minutes into the episode but what is like what's the nickname of the city miles so the nickname of the city is the pink city is it and like i feel like everyone is trying to figure out like like why is it called the pink city and i'm sure that's if you google jaipur that's the first thing you'll think of because you'll see everywhere it says the pink city the pink city and um while that doesn't have to do necessarily with uh directly with its UNESCO World Heritage Site, it is definitely a factor that kind of goes into it. And the story is um, the Prince of Wales um, and the Queen Victoria visited in 1876. Um, and the Maharaja at that time of Jaipur, he basically painted the city pink. And just like in their culture, pink is a welcoming color. It's it's like a symbol of, like, uh, of hospitality. And so when they came, like, the city was kind of pink for them and it was beautiful and everyone loved it and it was one of those things like the Eiffel Tower where it just stuck around and became uh, representative of the city that it was in and now it's definitely part of the zoning and a lot of the codes and a little bit more of the culture of the place to kind of remain pink specifically especially in the old city which is the walled city you were talking about with the nine blocks which is what is considered the UNESCO World Heritage Site. Okay, so I think we've stalled long enough. Shall we dive into the question, Miles? Yes, let's do that. So do you want to remind me what the question is? I would love to. So the question is, is why is Jaipur a UNESCO World Heritage Site? So first of all, what's UNESCO? So UNESCO stands for United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization. Mm -hmm. And do you want to tell me more about what they do? 
So one of the things that UNESCO is really uh, famous for is their UNESCO World Heritage Sites. And the idea is these are areas, sites, like they can be a specific structure, a landscape, or a natural uh, feature, or even something as large as a city in this case. And they uh, represent different uh, criteria that UNESCO has defined. Uh, there are six cultural criteria and four natural. Um, this specifically, and usually they fall into one of those categories, not both. It's either a natural or a cultural. And Jaipur is, uh, falls within that cultural uh, heritage site. I think the, the best way to sum up a UNESCO site is it's got to be how it's got to have you've said it's a cultural natural it's about the values of humanity and it connects to like i don't know cultural is like it means so many different things but like as a cultural organization unesco like it's really about the people and like what they've st stood for and, and like what they've done with a place um and jaipur will meet that and we'll kind of go over that in fact miles how about i go through the six cultural uh, uh, criteria that UNESCO has, and you have to guess whether or not it it is uh, Jaipur applies or not. Okay, let's try it. Okay, uh, I will tell you it applies to three out of the six. <laughs> okay. So, uh, let's start. So the one of them is to represent a masterpiece of human creative genius. Yes. No, that one does not apply. Why not? I, I'm not on the committee, but uh, you'll. I think you'll see that some of them fit a little bit better than that. Okay, one. right. I'll tell. I'll tell you what I'm gonna do this time. You're gonna list all six of them to me in one go, and then I'm gonna answer. I I think they're a little long. Are you sure you want to do that? Yes. Okay. So, uh, to rep, I'll I'll cover the first one again. To represent a masterpiece of human creative genius. To exhibit an important interchange of human values over a span of time or within a cultural area of the world on developments in architecture or technology, monumental arts, town planning, or landscape design. To bear a unique or at least exceptional testimony to a cultural tradition or to a civilization which is living or which has disappeared. Okay. Four. To be an outstanding example of a type of building, architectural or technological ensemble, or landscape which illustrates a significant stages in human history, or which illustrates a significant stage in human history. Five, to be an outstanding example of a traditional human settlement, land use, or sea use, which is representative of a culture or cultures or human interaction within the environment especially when it has become vulnerable under the impact of irreversible change. Six, to be a directly or tangibly associated with events or living standards, with ideas or with beliefs, with artistic and literary works of outstanding universal significance. And the committee usually likes that one to go with another one. It can't just be number six, but it can be. Okay. <laughs> See, I told you they were long. We should have done them. No, it, that's not the problem. The problem is, is that I don't know which three they're going to be. Which one are you pretty sure on? Two. Okay, two is definitely one of them, and it's one of the ones they... Uh, Do you want to read out asked. what two is, just to remind? Yeah, so two, I think, fits really well. To exhibit an important interchange of human values over a span of time 
or within a cultural area of the world on developments in architecture, which very much applies, or technology, monumental arts, town planning, that super yep. applies in Jaipur's example, or landscape design, which also kind of mm, goes into yep. what you were talking about as well. And was the other one four? So four is one of the three. Um, to be an outstanding example of a type of building, architectural or technological, assembled in a landscape. They actually didn't ask... They didn't... Uh, they actually... So number four, they didn't uh, ask the committee. They didn't nominate themselves for number four. Um, they actually nominated themselves for number five, which was to bear an outstanding example of a traditional human settlement, land use, or seed use, which is representative of a culture, blah, blah, blah. So basically, they, they're like, oh, we think we're five, but UNESCO's like, no, you're not five, you're four. Okay. Um, you're the one that has to do... that. You So you're right, yeah. four is the building architectural yeah. and significant in human history. And then there's one left. Would it be six? It would be six. Yeah. Well, th three for three if you don't count your faux pas at the beginning. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so to be tangibly associated with events, living traditions, ideas, or within the beliefs and artistic literary works. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll, I want to go into a little bit of like how like the specifically two and six apply to um, Jaipur. Yeah. Um, how many do you need to get to be a UNESCO World Heritage Site? You need one of the ten. And we've gone through only five. We've gone through six, and there's four for the natural. Correct. Yeah, Correct. Yeah, yeah. Yes, okay. we've gone through six cultural. There's four additional natural ones. And Jaipur actually has three of the cultural ones to make it, even though it only needs one. Got it. But the fact it has three makes it, like, quite good. Yeah. No, that, that's a good uh, 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 analysis. And it was actually only designated in 2019. It's quite new, Jaipur, as a UNESCO World Heritage Site. There are a few... Uh, there are two other UNESCO World Heritage Sites that are more structures within Jaipur, um, but we might cover those later. So, in terms of uh, the earth, like, this city was, like, we talk about how it was planned. It was actually planned with lots of influences in mind. You talked about some of them. Um, another one is it has the um, Western culture idea of, like, a grid system. Um, that wasn't common at the time, and they actually brought that in for this city. And it's not perfectly north, south, east, west, but uh, in a lot of ways, like it is a, a, a grid system. They call it iron plan. Uh, a grid iron plan is like the idea of like a, a lot of like U.S. cities, for example, meet this, where it's like it's 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 a grid, right? It's and and there are blocks. Um, and Jaipur was one of the first in India to do this. It was actually it's arguably the first planned city in in India as well. Um, another reason it uh, fits within UNESCO, but they took the Western ideas of that. So it also had influence from early modern Mughal culture and uh, kind of more in terms of the architecture um, and the zoning of the different areas. Um, and so they kind of took that influence from there. Um, and then they also had uh, like the ancient Hindi um, Hindu culture um, influence on like the way that uh, the city was set up as well. So it kind of like, it was different. This city was very different in the way it had all these plannings come together. Um, and it became the norm for Western India after Jaipur was built. Um, and that like also shows like, this is the first example of this and it was done very well. And another reason like that number two, um, uh, UNESCO World Heritage criteria of exhibiting those human values like over a span of long period of time um, in terms of architecture and town planning. Yeah, um, the Mughals are another kingdom that existed in India um, at a previous time. Uh, we will cover those in another episode, I'm sure. 
Um, and you can just think of like Jaipur as a bit of a trendsetter. Yeah, is that right. That's, that's yeah. a good way of putting it in a modern context. Um, so, and another one other thing is the organization of the different city sectors you were talking about, those like big chunks, those nine chunks, uh, called chakris. Um, they refer that that's a traditional uh, Hindu concept, right? Um, I, I guess that's kind of what you covered in, in, in terms of that. But like that's yeah. a specific aspect of the city planning that kind of refers to that. Um, and it was designed completely. One amazing thing is it was designed in four years. Did you know that? No, I didn't. They built That's it. They built most of it between 1727 and 1731 Common Era, and basically, like it, it, it like literally just came out of nowhere. And I, uh, they actually, uh, they designed it as a commercial capital. Capital, in fact, like it, they literally had special royal invitations they sent to several traders in the region, inviting them to settle like in this capital and market on the street. Um, and so they have these long avenues, like they kind of se separate these chakris, these big blocks, and these avenues like connect in squares. And the avenues are built as places to uh, have marketplaces. Um, so the idea is like the marketplace is on these wide avenues. Um, and then the buildings make up like where the traders and other families within the city live. And it's like that way everybody from the region can come into this capital and trade and then leave and kind of like help push up the whole area in general okay uh yeah so i think that does that sort of cover why it's a this why it's a very special city why it would possibly be granted a unesco world heritage site status um and i thought to myself because as i do on my lonely monday nights um i thought why what do you get for being a unesco world heritage site what does that give you like mm -hmm. Like, well, uh, what's, what's the point of being a UNESCO World Heritage Site? And all I, could, all I could find is the main reason why people do it is because it gives you a bit of kudos, like it's a little qualification that, um, that gives you more awareness. And I, ironically, we're giving it a lot of awareness by being on this podcast. So that there's mm -hmm. a goal done. That, that's one of the things, um, you know, we don't go around typically doing uh, why is this place not a World Heritage Site? Um, it's actually a significant thing to be one, so it gets the attention that it is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And, uh, and then they also get some assistance and advice for preservation and, and how to um, uh, yeah, look after it. I want to highlight that because it's like super important that I feel like UNESCO's like their mission, right, is not like by defining these places, they tell these places, this is really special, like don't mess it up. Right. You should re keep that heritage through time, just like the way Jaipur kept its a center of trade even to today. Um, it's like it's it's still a huge center of trade within the region uh, along these bazaars, along these avenues. And I think like showing that that's important in a worldwide global cultural context shows that like, hey, like you shouldn't tear this down and build a modern metropolis, for example. Yeah, and by the that they give it like by being a UNESCO World Heritage Site, it gets that international safeguard, and it gives it international protection uh, even during wartime as well, mm -hmm. uh, which which we can mention a little bit in a bit. I didn't know that, um, but that makes sense. Also, part of a UNESCO World Heritage Site, it also allows you to get funding a lot easier for improvements and re, um, re, re refurbishing kind of stuff. Uh, you will get you know, it'll be easier to, to get the funding for it. You know, it, it gives you that little qualification that says I'm important kind of thing. Like you can say like someone having a degree, very important, gives you that qualification. This is 
an equivalent of a degree for a, a site of interest in, for UNESCO, from UNESCO. Um, although actually looking at it, um, sometimes being a UNESCO World Heritage Site can actually cause some problems as well. Ooh, um, like what? That, that, yeah. So some of it is, uh, so a big one is it may cause actually too much tourism. You know, we're seeing in the modern world now as we're, we're sort of coming into this, uh, there's a lot of people and a lot of people who are able to travel now more and more in the world. And you're seeing places like um, the Inca Trail and Machu Picchu um, really struggle under over tourism. And, the, right. you know, they have to find ways to combat that. Uh, that's something that maybe having a UNESCO World Heritage Site can lead to. It gives too much tourism for the the place can handle um and then uh it also may cause um movement of people if you know it's going to start making it quite a desirable place and that means usually a lot of foreign investment you know people want to bring up hotels there because people are going to go and want to see it um and and that's that sounds good in theory but actually it forces people who don't have the money and don't have that foreign investment levels of wealth it may force them to the sidelines or force them somewhere else uh, in the world, which is never good. Um, a good example is Venice. You should listen to our episode uh, four on Venice. But the uh, like that's that episode sh- three. Sorry, episode three of Venice, um, where we talk about how like like a lot of people moving in and like buying places. Like it actually like like Venice is only so big and Jaipur is only so big too. It's like the center city. Like if you have over tourism and too many people are in here and they bring in a bunch of money, it could like dilute the actual culture that's trying to be preserved. Yes. Uh, so, so that's a negative of uh, being a UNESCO heritage site. Uh, and part of that is also the money doesn't necessarily also go to the, the local people for being a UNESCO heritage site uh, because the funding purely goes to the site. It doesn't go to preserving the people around it. Um, and then lastly, I just wanted to mention, so in the international safeguard that we, that I mentioned before, um, the Taliban destroyed the Buddhas of, uh, Bamiyan in Afghanistan in 2001 in a tragic accident, uh, not an accident, in a tragic event. Um, and UNESCO just can't do anything about it. Right. Um, so the international safeguard is, uh, they're a bit powerless on it we'll say that so so you know how much does that actually mean so it's a bit sad in that way and uh the last bit i wanted to say about this sort of like being a unesco heritage site i never search when i go on holiday i want to go and visit a unesco world heritage site it just usually happens that the thing i want to see is one but i never go out of my way to search for it it's never like something that i have at the forefront of my mind that i want to go and see all 1000 121 sites across the world it is actually i just go to the place and then if it's not one i'll probably see it and if it is one i do see it so to me as a tourist does does it actually impact me that it's a world heritage site maybe because it keeps the preservation but it doesn't have any kudos to me really as i because i don't go out of my way to search for unesco world heritage sites yeah let us know if like that is something you specifically go out and travel for like and and you look that up before traveling because I also like don't specifically like highlight that when I'm looking for where to go next, but maybe some people do. Uh, and I just wanted to last say, you know, we've said how popular it is as a tourist attraction. I think it's the most popular place in 
India as a tourist attraction, as a city. Oh, wow. Uh, rather than a particular site, necessarily. Okay, that makes sense. Um, but, you know, it has some really wonderful buildings. You know, you've got the um, Hawa Mahal, which is also the Palace of Winds, um, which has that beautiful lattice work with all the windows that you'll see when you Google and it. And the wind allows it to go through and, like, cool everything down inside. It's very cool. It's like a honeycomb, almost. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, and then you have uh, one of the largest observatories ever built. Um, they have uh, the world's largest sundial is actually in mm -hmm. uh, Jaipur as well. And you have the Water Palace and you have like the Albert Hall. And actually so many people go there today in the modern day because it is like picture perfect, Instagrammable kind of. Um, yeah, it's you know, very people will beautiful. Go there for that. It is like if, if you Google images of it, it looks stunning. It really does. It's not like you're going somewhere to like just take pictures of like say the Taj Mahal or one attraction. It's like this is the city is beautiful, and then there's all these great palaces that are beautiful, and like like you said, the sundial and several other aspects as well. Yeah. Cool. Um. So sh let's summarize the question real quick. Why is Jaipur a UNESCO World Heritage Site, Miles? Um. Because it fulfills the criteria of being a cultural or natural heritage around the world considered to be of outstanding value to humanity. And it's outstanding value of the humanity is the, the town planning and the, the different styles and the architecture that there is there. Is and the way it's able to like culturally through trade, like remain relevant and remain like uh, true to itself and hasn't like, like it stayed true to that throughout its time as a, as a city. Um, Cool. Yeah. So that's a wrap on episode number 11. Don't forget to uh, follow us on Twitchstagram at podcast. Why is the world? Get in touch. Uh, yeah. Also like comment, subscribe uh, on your <laughs> specific app of choice. Um, yeah. This has been Sevi and Miles. Uh, and as they say in India or specifically in Jaipur, namaste. Namaste.